On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. Quit eating your burgers on a coffee table. If you want to eat a burger, put it on a bar. Follow your instincts to B-dubs for the new all-American cheeseburger. Fresh, juicy beef smashed till it's crispy around the edges, covered in gooey cheese, and stacked to the ceiling with deliciousness. And knock that baby down with a frosted beer at the bar, just like the sports gods intended. The new all-American cheeseburger at Buffalo Wild Wings. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, I've got Dustin Ott. Toyota figured out was how to um, go about making process improvement or how to, how, how to go about making improvements. And so they, they really delineated between what is value added and what is waste. And so they had a, a great understanding of waste. Dustin, thanks for making time. Oh, you're welcome. So, uh, Tell us a bit about what you're up to, and then we're definitely going to be talking about uh, some of your path to get where you are now. Well, currently, um, I serve as the chief operating officer for a company called Moto United. Uh, it's headquartered in St. George, Utah, so the southern part of Utah, a few hours north of Las Vegas. And what we really do, we have seven locations. Um, we're in the power sports business, so it's... Um, it's ATVs, side-by-sides, boats, uh, motorcycles, those kind of things. So we have dealerships, and um, that's we, we do a fantastic job of uh, servicing folks around here and, and just want to be the best in what we do. Yeah. Now, you've had a pretty interesting career. Um, do you want to walk us through a couple of the things you've been able to do in kind of this lean enterprise excellence world kind of since the Shingo days back in 98, 2000? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, great. So when I was going to college, um, I had the good fortune of working with the Shingle Prize. And I mean, it was, you know, I really didn't know the gem that I had when I was working there. But, uh, you know, once I got out into the workplace, really realized the power of the principles that, you know, are espoused by the Shingle Prize. And so I went out and worked uh, in industry, went and worked for a little manufacturing company. And the CEO wanted me to do some training on uh, what was back then was called TQM or total quality management. And I had a rough idea of what that was. And so got digging around in the company library and um, picked up this little book called the uh, Toyota production system uh, beyond large scale production by Tachiono. And I remember I took it home, started reading it one evening and could not put it down, stayed up all night, read the whole thing just couldn't believe, you know, really what I was reading and this, how simple and elegant these principles were, but we certainly weren't applying them at work. So when I got back into work the next day, um, I grabbed a salesman who had been in the man- who worked in manufacturing and, and we probably spent the better part of a morning just going through, I, I just had all these questions for him, you know, like, does this work here? Would this work? Would this work? And I remember him saying, yeah, I don't see why not. Uh, but the the bigger question was, you know, well, how do we do all this kind of stuff? I mean, it sounds great, but it's like, really, what does it mean? And so, you know, that was really the uh, genesis of my um, my understanding or, you know, my introduction to 
the power of these principles. And so I, I went and made a bunch of mistakes uh, in this little company and tried to do some of these things and just really kind of struggled, but, you know, had some mediocre success in, in, in you know, in little places here and there. And uh, long story short, I then got, um, I was, um, I got to go back and work for the Shingle Prize. And while I was there, um, uh, just gobbled up every bit of information I could, rubbed shoulders with some amazing people. Then I was hired by a company in Salt Lake City called uh, OC Tanner, or the OC Tanner Company, and just had a tremendous experience. Um, and part of it, um, working at OC Tanner, is they were they were interesting, interested in doing lean, and they already were really. And this would have been back in 2000 when I started there, and. So they really had a nice env uh, environment that supported um, continuous improvement. And um, and so I, I was given some responsibilities for a department um, to improve it. And really, we were we pioneered some things that, you know, I'd never seen anywhere else or read anything about. But we just simply figured out how to do, apply some of these principles in a very unique environment. And it just happened to be a job shop. And... I'll never forget once we figured out how to apply or figure out how to get to one piece flow or continuous flow, uh, just the power that, um, that it um, brought into the organization, just the energy it brought was just truly amazing. And so we couldn't convert the operation fast enough to a flow and pull operation once, once we kind of figured out how to do it in that job shop environment. And, uh, Got some amazing results, um, truly just results that still um, today I'm super proud of and, you know, just kind of, you know, staggered, you know, stagger me still when I reflect back on what we we're able to achieve. But turned out to be a really fun um, type, you know, environment to work in. And then from there, I ended up uh, working, uh, moved down to St. George, had uh, helped start up a factory and it was in the textiles business, really in the. Um, we did a lot of, it was a heavily automated facility or factory that we started here. Well, and can, Spent can three I, years. Can Go I pause you for one second? So um, for those familiar with lean or enterprise excellence, continuous improvement, some of these terms are going to be super familiar. But, but for folks who aren't familiar with why the principle of flow and pull could help their organization become more efficient, can you give just the, the briefest overview of, of the concept? Yeah, sure. So... <clears throat> Probably the yeah I think you're right Jess the, the, perhaps the most powerful concept that you can get in any organization it doesn't matter if it's office work or manufacturing or even in the dealership like we're in you know selling machines or servicing machines the probably the holy grail of of or the pinnacle of perfection is this concept called flow and what flow is is where value is being uh, added continuously uh, in a process. And so um, what happens is this value creation process um, becomes extremely efficient. And value is defined as um, intellectual property being infused into whatever it might be. It could be into a product. It could be into an interaction with another person. It could be into a program. It could be whatever. But it's that it's that intellectual property that's being infused into something. If that happens repeatedly, like within moments, 
of you know one value at a step to the next one to the next one to the next one like within moments that is that's the pinnacle of perfection that's that's what any enterprise in the in the world is is interested in doing and when you when that happens you have really compressed lead times and you become very efficient and so it looks like the best way for me to describe it is it just looks like um, s speed it's just it's just super fast so you get compressed lead times but imagine like a river that's flowing, you know, it's, it's, it moves unimpeded and it's not stagnant. Um, the problem is, is that sometimes you just, you can't figure out how to get continuous flow. You, know, you can't figure out how to get value to happen repeatedly over and over. And so then what happens is you end up with like a reservoir of, of, of work in progress, we call it, some type of work and it queues up or it batches up or whatever. And so then what the next best step is what's called pull. And pull is uh, preferred over push. Um, push being uh, perhaps one of the worst things that you can do. So in the, in the operations world, you have push systems and pull systems. And push systems are just terrible places to work. And, and people... Do you want to give a couple uh, of examples? Yeah, so uh, perhaps uh, the easiest example might be... Um, might be in a factory where you, where where you have one person that's 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 performing this job over and over, and there's somebody upstream of that person that's just or a machine even, so it could be a person or a machine upstream that's just feeding that downstream process, and it's just burying it. So when it gets buried, there's there there will be work stacked all around the place. You'll see it. It'll be on the floor. It'll be in racks. It'll be. Uh, it'll just be everywhere, and uh, that's evidence that you have a push process. And so if you're that downstream operation, it's a terrible place to be. It, you feel overwhelmed. You feel um, like people don't care about you. You feel, um, you feel isolated. It's, it's a terrible kind of feeling. The antithesis of that would be where that downstream operation, when – in a pull system, how it works is is they send some kind of a request back upstream, and and it looks like an authorization to say, hey, I just consumed this bit of information or this product or this material or whatever it might be. Now replenish it. Just give me what I want when I want it, and do it really quickly. So pull systems reach back up and request. And there should be an immediate response or a fairly quickly quick response. Whereas push systems, on the other hand, is an upstream process that's just overwhelming a downstream operation. And it happens all the time. It, it, you know, every just you can see it in lots of different places. And when I go in factories, you know, I, you know, I have a saying that the shop floor is a reflection of management. And so when you walk in these factories, you can tell almost immediately if, if they're running a push system or pull system. And can you, well, let's do this. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and then I want to ask a follow-up question to that, okay? Okay. So, Dustin, right before the sponsor break, I told you I had a follow-up question. Um, can, you, can you talk about the, the fundamentally different approach to staff and to the team members from this way of thinking? You know, our listeners know that, that our firm became one of the, you know, 20 Shingo affiliates around the world, and we've been talking about this stuff, but we don't always get to get in as much depth. Um, so 
Can you talk about this idea of, you know, not only have you not got a whole bunch of money tied up in inventory that no, nobody's buying from you, you aren't frustrating the staff with moving around a bunch of stuff unnecessarily. And can, because sometimes when we talk about efficiency, people can hear, oh, you're just going to grind these people harder. Can you talk <laughs> about the approach of, of why this ends up being something that staff prefer compared to the old way? Oh, yeah. I've got some great examples of that. So, again, if you go back to the, to the, really the, the crux of lean and, and the origins of it, what the what Toyota figured out was how to um, go about making process improvement, or how to, how how to go about making improvements. And so, they they really delineated between what is value added and what is waste. And so they had a, a great understanding of waste. And um, what happens is when you get into a process, and it really doesn't matter what it is. It could be getting ready for work in the morning. But when you dig into a process and you dissect it and you eliminate the non-value added portions of that process, um, you basically, um, you just, you don't have to, you, you bypass non-value added steps that consume your time and energy. And, and so, yeah, I, I often hear like, look, if you just want to make this more efficient, you're just going to expect us to work harder. That is not the case. What happens is when you remove these non-value-added steps, it could be anything from like walking or reaching or reworking or, you know, doing things that you, we, we really don't get paid for doing, but we, we do anyway. If you just remove those kinds of steps from a process, what you're left with is these value creating steps. And when you do that, you actually make the job easier, safer, and enable a person to even do, do better quality work. So, I mean, I make that sound so simple, but I can, I can tell you it, it, takes, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of, um, um, a, a lot of thinking. It usually starts with thinking and then it takes a lot of work to figure out how to do things. And in my experience, um, you, a process will look and operate very differently uh, when, you, when you get to continuous flow or pull systems than, than when you're in a push system. They, they just are totally different kinds. Of, you've had to rework or re-engineer or do all kinds of, you know, you've had to make some drastic changes in how the work is performed but once you get there, it is a, it's a beautiful place to be, and people, people love it. Can, can you give an example, whether from Genesis or, or any place that you worked long year, and just, uh, you know, something that one of the team members suggested, you know, that wasn't just the geniuses in the suits who get to think. Everybody gets to bring their brain to work. But, mm -hmm. you know, one of the standout things or a story of something one of the team members brought that made everybody's life easier? You know, I think I think back if I go back to um, OC10 or um, when I started there, I was I was asked to manage the ring department, and I was I was paired up with a um, another gentleman who was about ready to retire, and so I was you know I was his um, um, part of um, you know a tag team to manage that department. He was offloading his information to me, but in my understanding, you know, me trying to understand how the operation was set up. One of the things that we did was um, we set up a simulation and the simulation um, 
helped us understand the principles of flow and pull and and the disadvantages of push in a in a small scale. So you could do it around a table, for instance. And we had these pens. It was just it was just assembling pens is all it was. And we we said, well, let's figure out how we can assemble these pens. Um, you know, in five minutes, how many pens can we assemble applying these principles? And so we would run this exercise over and over and over. And I had set these, and it was my direct reports. It was, you know, I think I had seven or eight managers who were reporting to me at the time. And so I'd get them in this room and we'd run this exercise and we're trying to figure out how do we get continuous flow in this environment? And we had one of my managers, um, I'll never forget, she just kind of got frustrated in um, in this whole exercise that we were going through. And instead of doing things the way that uh, we normally or traditionally did things in manufacturing, she, um, she just said, here, just give me that. And she reached upstream and she grabbed um, some product in the simulation and just took it over. She didn't want to wait anymore. She was getting frustrated, just took it and, and and, and that whole idea helped spawn um, uh, this method that we ended up calling the bump system. And, and, it, um, and this, the, the bump system, how it worked was um, it, it allowed a downstream operator to, to go back upstream and, and almost physically take work from another person depending on where they were at in the process. So as long as it didn't affect the safety or quality of whatever that person was doing upstream, they, they would physically just take that work from them and then physically process it back downstream. And so it caused this ripple effect going back upstream. But I, I think back about that process, you know, that, that, that moment when this one of my managers, uh, we were just in this simple simulation where she was she just, in her frustration, did something that was unexpected and was breaking out of the, out of the rules or out of the box that really enabled us to, to learn some things that, um, you know, that really enabled us to do some great things. And so how does that play out over time? Once that starts to happen and everybody downstream has the ability to reach upstream and take things earlier, what does that do to, to volume? What does that do to people feeling like what, how they feel at work? Oh, that's, that's a great question. So, again, this was this happened at OC Tanner, and we had these we had these teams uh, that were set up. They were fifteen person teams, and when when I was there, I, I we all knew it, but it was it's what I called fake flow. I mean, there was no flow. We had this idea that we wanted to have, you know, smaller teams and co-located processes, and so we put all these processes together in this tiny little space but it still wasn't flowing. So it was better than these huge departments on multiple floors, but we still had a lot of whip. Um, what happened in the pole system is that it just took the whip out of the process. And then if you followed that all the way back upstream through even the design process of a ring, what it did is it allowed us to, to manage the introduction of how much work was coming into the system. And when you're able to, to minimize and control the amount of work that, that in, you know, enters into a system, you only have to work on what's in front of you. You don't have to manage, you know, 150 things that potentially, you know, are sitting in front of you. And, and, and you, know, you don't have to sort through all of that stuff. 
You simply just manage what's in front of you. And it's all based on this pull system. You know, it's just the downstream saying, hey, I'm now capable, I'm radiant and available to do more work. So don't overwhelm me. Don't give me more than what I need. I don't want to sort through stuff. I don't want to go looking for stuff. I don't want to look for the information. I don't want to open it up. I just, I just want to do this one thing at a time and process it through continuously. I just want value to be added to it continuously. So the result is that you know it, it reduces a lot of confusion. Um, the, one of the biggest things is, is we got down to three-person teams. And those were fantastic. Uh, there was very, very little finger pointing. If you went back to that 15-person team, if something went wrong, there was so much whipped inside of those cells that they were still blaming. <laughs> You're still hunting and looking for stuff. And, and when you have finger pointing and blaming, you also have people that don't want to take responsibility. So it truly wasn't a team. When you have three people, a small team, you have what I call interdependence rather than independence. You work interdependently versus independently. And that interdependency, you know exactly where the other person's at with the process. You know their skills, their capabilities, their weaknesses, and you, you bond together and you work together. You help each other out. And there's no more finger pointing. There's no more blaming. And... Um, so how, how much more fun is it to work somewhere where there isn't all the finger pointing? It is, it is, it's an amazing place. And I think I shared this example with you um, earlier, but um, your job gets so much easier. We used to have expediters, you know, in this, in this whole process, you know, and or, or, or a salesperson would call me and say, Hey, I need you to, to, to make sure that this order gets completed for me. So, you know, to me, it was kind of like, in some ways, I felt like I was Moses part in the Red Sea. You know, I'd take this order and say, hey, do this part, do this part, do this part. It's got to be done, right? And I could see, look, if I, if, I, if I walk these individual orders through this process, it can be done relatively quickly. But it's just not how we normally do things. And so I knew it was possible. But once you get to that place, it's, it's just, it's magical. It's, uh, it's so easy to manage. There's, you're, you know, you go from firefighting mode to to uh, preventative mode and you, and you get to spend a ton of time just on the prevention and, you know, just figuring out how to continuously make things better and better and better. Um, and I may, I may have also shared the example that, you know, I used to, I was getting so many awards from the sales. The salespeople thought I was a hero because, you know, we were able to process things so quickly for them. Uh, and turning their orders around, they thought it was like something special. You know, we developed this special. You were taking um, care of them personally. They didn't realize the yeah, system was yeah, doing it. Yeah, we were like personally, like you know, bending over backwards for them when it was just the system. You just put an order in, and it just would naturally later, you know, just naturally pop out two days later. And so it was a lot of fun. And so they were giving me all these awards, right, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, it really wasn't needed because it was just the process. It's just how we did things. We were, nothing special was going on. We just developed these, you know, these really nice flow systems. I love it. Well, let's stop here for part one of the interview. Everybody, please tune back in for part two. We're going to hear more about uh, Dustin creating efficiencies or helping people create efficiencies without feeling abused at work. <laughs> well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about 
if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He's former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboards um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for two ninety nine dollars subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just two ninety nine each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.